welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co-hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques, sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Now, here are Scott and Bill. Welcome back to the show. This is episode two. 147, and I am Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And we're back in the saddle again. Yes, on the Friday before Christmas. Uh, <clears throat> so I hope everyone is getting ready. I'm, I'm almost totally ready. I was really ahead of the game this year. Just a couple hard-to-figure-out presents yet to take yeah, care of. Yeah, I'm mostly done. I'm pretty much... Uh, I tell you, the one thing about having as many dependents as I have. Yeah, you have a lot of dependents. And, uh, well, no, they're not really dependent on me. On the tax. Well, but the uh, taxes, it's not. Helpful. Offspring, I should say. Offspring. What the, what, uh, yeah, no, they're not dependents anymore. But my offspring and their offspring, that it's getting a little tricky, but uh, it's fun. It is fun buying Christmas presents for kids. There is so much going on in the news. There is. Mattis resigns. The Trump Organization shuts down. Trump Foundation. Foundation, rather. Uh, the government is about government's to shut down. Shut down. <laughs> now, it's interesting. Do you think this is actually one of Trump's savvy negotiation moments no. in the sense of, like... Okay, I'm sorry. I should let you get your right, Okay, well, because here's the thing, right? Like, it's... The Senate would do $1.6 billion, right? Mm-hmm. And then they vote. And then the House... He does get it passed, the $5 billion. Nancy Pelosi says he doesn't have the vote. So, that, so then you're like, all right, are we going to shut the government down over $4 billion in a, in a trillion, multi-trillion? You know, like, like, I think that, no, it might still shut down. And if it does, he owned it. But, but I'm just thinking, like, is he banking on well, the Senate or adults? I'm not, but they're adults. And they're like, <laughs> and are you for $3.4 billion or whatever? Like, are you, I mean, I, I, and then he also, like, for, from his immaturity, makes the chambers of Congress actually work against each other even in the same party as if the founders he's doing all these things that look like american government probably just from pure id but like yeah no, it's interesting like i'm like this is fascinating yeah and uh the fact that he's counting on that there are some senators who care about government workers because obviously he doesn't <laughs> yeah yeah that, that would be a great optic he's down there playing golf while people are not getting their paychecks uh, even you know why he i think he he called them back because hannity was not happy well, and ann coulter wasn't happy well, we now realize where the seats of power are. Exactly. Fox News. Fox News. Even though, yeah, it's uh, what a what a disaster. I think, and um, yeah, I, I do think we, we may next week, we may either do the re- year in review or the year in preview. We haven't decided. But I think this is going to be a tough, 2019 is going to be tough. And, and Mark Zuckerberg, like, he's got to be thanking his lucky stars for Trump because... Yeah, right. Because a lot of the stories are kind oh, of what getting... Zuckerberg is, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. It's that's very, very problematic in so many levels. Um, yeah, and I think the fact that uh, when Russia, Iran, and China celebrate our our foreign policy decisions, it's not yeah. usually a, a good, a good. Song. It's like uh, the Seinfeld. I will do the opposite. Think of what Russia wants and do the opposite. Yeah, no. But I don't know that Facebook. Like, so okay, so think so. They get my data. And first right. off, you do sign. You sign the agreement. You, you don't do. read it, but, but you, you sign it. it. Yes. Like the same thing you do with Apple. Yeah. Same thing and you do Google, everybody. I get a lot out of it. Like I get like we're promoting our podcast. Right. We relationally like we, we get free marketing from yeah. Facebook. So no, it's like I, Yeah, I got a huge abuse last week in the Resident X. Right. That but you had a huge huge exposure, huge reach. Yeah. And in exchange, 
they don't charge your service fee. They it's a trade off. You, you they you rent you lease your data to them, and I, I think I don't know. Like I don't as long as be, there should be transparency, right? I they, I should know what's what what's doing. yes. I should. But the other thing too is like the fact that there's they gave up private messages. That's probably that's weird. But, that's weird. But yeah. I wonder if they give if that's just an algorithm that scans it, right? Like, like if I message you, I'm looking at this, and then all of a sudden, like this thing on Amazon, and then all of a sudden it pops up in my ads. There's not, there's not a little person somewhere in Google reading all our no, ads. No, no. <laughs> but I, yeah, the other thing is interesting. Or it could be a big person. Short of be. just like being broken up, right? Like if, yeah. if in the tw- 2020s we get a new antitrust kind of right. cra- short of that, big tech companies just win because either you don't get regulated, right, and right. then you can just get, or you do. And if you're big tech, it's pennies to the dollar to comply, and you have a zillions of lawyers. And so what it hurts is the regulation would hurt the startups who can't right. pay. So it's like you win either way. Like, Well, that's always the problem with, with trust. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think the other thing, too, is the bigger issue to me than even the privacy thing is getting a handle on how social media is used to manipulate elections. Yeah. I think that's, that's a huge problem problem we found that you know we found out by last week in the senate it was everywhere but isn't the problem just citizens like yeah like if you're an idiot like if you believe yeah no so that's again the problem and the citizen i feel like on some level we blame the cult the civil society's decay like like it 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 is just it is peddling garbage and, and manipulative things but like it People doesn't are, work if you're not manipulatable. Right, right, exactly. No, I mean, you know, an uninformed public is is a problem. But the, the there is a sense of uh, the sheer amount of data, the sheer amount of information that we get thrown at us. I mean, it's, it is hard. I mean, there's there are, I think, very few people who are sophisticated enough or take the time enough to do the kind of back-checking, filtering, editing that you need to do. I think that, that's, a, that's a problem. And you could take our word for it if you don't have the time. We'll just not that we're much smarter, but but you can pretend we are. Now the other thing that I find interesting too is like now I don't know if this is good for innovation or not. But so what you want to do as a tech company right now, it's built. You don't want to become the next Facebook. That's not anybody's goal. Your goal is to get bought by Facebook or Google. So so right, you right. innovate with the purpose of getting enough market yeah, value whole, to get bought out. That was the whole dot-com phenomenon. Yeah. yeah. Like you kind of, so it's just very interesting that I don't know, can, can there be another Facebook or Google or something? Or is, is like any time that something like that crops up, it just gets swallowed into Amazon or Google or Facebook? I don't know. That's a good question. I find this stuff so interesting. I should have been in that field and, or dentistry. Either of those two things. If I had talent and aptitude for either of those things, that's all I'm missing. I've got the passion for it. Yeah, people often, I think people have said they really envy our friendship. Exactly. I just want to say that when he calls me and talks about dentistry, you, you wouldn't want to I'm be I'm so into it. You would not want to be me. That's all I can no, say. No, Because I, I, we have... I don't even want to be me when I call you to do that. I mean, of, of the differences between you and I, there's probably no bigger difference than when it comes dentistry to dentistry. Awesome. On the issue of dentistry, yeah. It's awesome. So that's where, you know, we mean, that's why there's never, you've had, why has there not been a podcast on dentistry? It would just, there are so many. There are no, many. But why you and I have never done an episode exactly. of Because we just no. are so different on that. Well, you came up with an interesting idea today for our Christmas podcast. I did indeed. Yeah, uh, I was going to two try. people and I love talking about you. Like this was this your Christmas gift to me? To this say? is this is via Michael Horton of the White Horse Inn. 
Uh, I was trying to find the reference, but maybe I won't be able to find it. But uh, there's a, it's really interesting. I just interviewed this guy in Give and Take, and he's a guy whose work I followed for a while. Uh, he's a reformed theologian, conservative reformed guy, but I think a, like a in that in that in that vein, I would call him charitable and ecumenical in in that context. And he has a two volume work on justification it's like each it's like probably 400 pages or something is he for it or against he's it? for it he's, okay, he's pro it's justification good. that's good uh, but it's 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 the first volume is basically a historical theological doctrine like history of the, of ideas starting from the patristics and going on to the contemporary scene and then the second volume is biblical and sort of contemporary stuff how the bible is playing out in contemporary mm-hmm. debates but in his first volume First off, his treatment of Thomas Aquinas is worth the price of the book because it's very generous. Mm-hmm. And you you wouldn't picture a Calvinist like this guy to have such a sympathetic critique of Aquinas. Uh, but there have been arguments that Calvin and Aquinas may have been closer. Just, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, but then he has this thing. He says, look, you don't find justification or forensic language very prominently in the patristics. But he says, but what you find is that the sweet exchange or the wondrous exchange right. all over the place, right? Right, and, absolutely. And he has this short excursus. Well, where do you think Luther got it from? Right, exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's this, it's, and he has this excursus on basically Origen and Irenaeus. And basically, he looks at Origen as this kind of, ultimately, a sort of self-help. With the aid of a little grace, it, 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 and, and you, you know, the fall happened, this is so, the middle Platonism, Neoplatonism is, 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 is strong with this one, right? Like you... Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I want them to argue that you could you could argue that maybe Origen uh, is as much the founder of Neoplatonism as Plotinus. As Plotinus, right, yeah. 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 So, you so you know, the, the, this sort of falling away is the fall, and if you get really falling away, you get a body, right? So that's, right. that's your material. <laughs> and then it's kind of the getting back to the starting point, to the one, the source, of, to God, the source of all good. And he says, that's a really different kind of picture than Irenaeus, which is you can't go back. It's not an eternal return. It's a history. And that you can't go back to the beginning, but you go to a new telos, which is redeeming what was lost and, and giving you something new. And, and he, he talks about that as a watershed development in the history of the early church, that these two intuitions, one which is kind of eternal return and, and, and puts human agency more in the driver's seat, and another which is historical in orientation and centers in the Christ event, in the incarnation, and, and, and that recapitulation of the human story in Christ in the middle of the particular you know, existence with all of its fragility and finitude and thorniness and beauty. Right. Now, I think it's important not to make Irenaeus a Protestant or to make Origin a Pelagian. I mean, I think... No, no yeah. Because I think... For one, you know, they, again, the second century, which sometimes is lost in folks, part of Irenaeus is, not, is fighting against a couple different fronts. He's fighting against a front that wants to turn salvation into knowledge, that wants to say, uh, dis- make, you know, disconnect the biblical faith from the historical faith of Israel, yeah. the Christian faith of Israel. He also is fighting against determinism. You know, there's a sense where people, I think, fail to appreciate that one of the great offers Christianity made in the ancient world was this idea that you're not bound by the fates yeah. Or, for, yeah. or fortune. 
that there's you're not your destiny is not predetermined in some way that you can't choose to be something different by saying yes to Christ you're choosing to be a part of something different uh and so i i think that's that's important because i think both origen and Irenaeus would 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 would, would to celebrate redeemed human agency mm-hmm. you, know, and, you know and i think even origen's origen you know the thing about it's hard to nail origen down because first of all a lot of the old translations of Origen are based on people who were trying to clean him up a little bit. And then there's also his opponents. I hope every translator of anything I ever do is trying to do that. I think they'll be rehabilitating you for centuries. Centuries, I yeah. hope. <laughs> but I do think it's interesting to think of these as two types of Christian approach, particularly even as people talk about and celebrate Christmas, because you have two different kind of ways of a religious sentiments, and I would also say two alternative approaches to Christianity. One is this idea of Christianity, almost a, a, a disembodied bodied spirituality. So <clears throat> I personally don't have trouble with all the romanticness, romantic stuff around Christmas. I don't, I'm not one of these pastors who ever got angry. You're a Perry Cuomo. Perry Cuomo all right, guy. we refer to our previous one. Yeah, no, <laughs> I can't believe somehow that's, you know, the random, that's the great thing about music. Randomly. Exactly. Perry Cuomo. Yeah. I did try to listen to him again the other day. I just couldn't do it. But at any rate, I think this idea of Christianity as, you know, I mean, so much of uh, the psychoanalytical world has been incorporated into Christianity, not just, you know, kind of new age or not just kind of progressive Catholic spirituality, but the language of, you know, Freud is everywhere in, in evangelical, mainline, orthodox and heterodox Christianity. So there, there is this kind of sense of salvation as being self-improvement, the salvation being an idea of becoming our true self. Um, I think some of that uh, gets away from the biblical message, but it has been a version of the Christian salvation story from almost the beginning. Yeah, I, I think that's—you don't find much of Freud in the Amish— it hasn't penetrated. Has there. not penetrated yet. Although I do have to say, what is that? The wilding, not the wilding. What do they call when they they go crazy? The, for... A rumpa, rumpin, uh, rump, rumpin spring, or whatever. When you get when you sow your oats, the rumpin, so you're yeah. sowing your oats, yeah. The rumpin, rumpin something. Uh, yeah, that would be that would be Donald Trump's entire life. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's coming to an end at eighty. I hear it's, it's, it's making its decision at eighty. So yeah, no, I think you're you're right, and I think that that this, but it is this sort of you think about okay, Christmas or Easter sermons, right? Or think of Easter in particular. We're talking about Christmas, but I all my analogies are from Easter, right? When it's like the springtime and the rebirth of everything, and it's sort of like the butterfly, the butterflies, (laughs) right? Like so, Easter is just it it, is this beautiful symbol of reawakening that happens all the time. This cyclical, well, the biblical story is one that says. That, that come, kind of comes in and has a different view of history. Right. That, right. that, that this is not a t- that there are decisive events like say the Exodus or the Exile that forever shape consciousness. Right. There are there there are apocalyptic events. Yeah. There were time. You know, where where the the sort of God's eternity breaks into human history. Right. Right. And and often that happens at you know it happens in a lot of different ways. I mean, you know, a lot of Hebrew theology or a lot of the theology of our Old Testament is shaped in cataclysmic events. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so there's this, you know, one of the things uh, 
You, uh, is tonight your Blue Christmas? The Blue Christmas. Yeah. I'm dreaming of a Blue Christmas. Wrong Christmas song. I don't know. I, 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 Blue Christmas without you. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcasts projects i've got in the works so i invite you to be a patron through patreon of this which i think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy again any contribution is welcome but for five bucks a month you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call which begins right now thank you david babico andrew stravitz barry stewart ben crosby ben dehart carol clemens Charlotte Donlan, David Norling, David Zoll, Ellis Brazil, Jennifer Spite, Jennifer Underwood, Jim Cress, Joel Wentz, John Schneider, Jonathan Butran, Jordan Mossberger, Josh Redder, Kai Wittenpeg, Larry Rule, Liam O'Brien, Michael Butera, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Konauer, Sari Graham, Simone Garabedian, and Stephen Rowe. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening. And now back to the show. But uh, you're doing the Blue Christmas service tonight. I did two Advent service. You did a bilingual. Yes, we did. uh, He had kind uh, of more. Well, a wonderful service with the Korean congregation in Willow Grove. But one of the things we cert- we talked about, and I think this moves more towards the Irenaeus kind of approach where, you know, human suffering is not to be denied. Human physicality is not to be denied. But if there is anything that is messy and physical, it's the incarnation. It's the Christmas story. And this idea that the messiness of our lives, the brokenness of our lives, in the backdrop of the first Christmas story, which is a – you know, it's a salvation story. Origen has a salvation story. Irenaeus has a salvation story. And in the Irenaean salvation story, which is one we, you know, we focus more on the Luke 2, it's a very embodied spirituality. It's a very, in, in the backdrop of everything going on, uh, there is a teenage girl giving birth to her first child 90-some miles from home in a cave. So... Uh, that's it's a it's a very earthy raw no room at the inn right there's no room because it was Christmas <laughs> yeah so I I do think there's this this sense what these services that we had you know, Scott's about to have tonight and we had the last two weeks at both Feasterville and in Willow Grove was this idea of of Christmas is a particularly Rough time for some people who are living in the body, whether it be loss of job, loss of loved ones, something we're dealing with this year, loss of memories. I mean, you know, I even something as small as the first time the kids didn't wake you up at five o'clock in the morning for Christmas. It was nice to sleep in, but, the, you know, that Christmas where the magic went away, yeah, there's kind of a, there's something sad about that. There's a little something melancholy. Well, that's kind of minor, but there are, you know, there are a lot of people 
who are uh, are dealing with some really tough things. You know, we uh, started having a Christmas Day service when I was at media. And the first time we did it was because, well, Christmas fell on, on Sunday. So we, as opposed to some churches who canceled church, <laughs> <laughs> there were some mega churches in our area that didn't, you know, didn't want church to get in the way of celebrating Christmas. So they canceled their, their Sunday service. But, uh, and we did our Christmas Eve too. So we did all three Christmas Eve services and then the Christmas Day. But we continued it because we realized that it was a place for people to be who didn't necessarily want to be at home by yeah, themselves. Yeah, and yeah. And I think... That's part of this embodied story, the idea that Christ comes into our history, that um, it's not about, you know, the the restoration is greater than the fall in, in Irenaeus' salvation. What what we get in Christ is, is more than what Adam and Eve yeah, lost. Yeah. And I think that's this idea of moving forward, that history is moving towards a uh, a day that's going to be different. The, the future is different from the past. And let me say this. I think I'll make a proposal that I didn't think about until just now, but I, I think this is true. I think if you lean on origin, you can't get Irenaeus. But if you lean on Irenaeus, you can get the best of the origin yes. approach. Because, yes, for instance, what you know, Benedict in his Jesus books talks about how you look at these Old Testament feasts, that there's a pattern that, that oftentimes they do pick up on some hierophonic sort of cyclical. <laughs> it gets transformed by some redemptive historical event. And then in that transformation, like that, that harvest festival becomes a, a commemorative thing of Israel's history. And then he said there's usually a third layer that often there's something messianic added to it. Right. It becomes not just a thing that is in, rooted in nature, then transformed into Israel's history, but then looks to a history to come. And so I think this is, for instance, the church's reason for doing, for making the celebration of Christmas the winter solstice. It's the end of the day darkening and the beginning of light coming into the world. Like we're we're overcoming the darkness, like this pagan kind of yeah. celebration that warmth is coming. And so it's it's a really appropriate time to have this feast. And so you're taking this rhythmic cosmic thing, but actually rooting it in particular history versus the other way around. Yeah, it's really interesting. You get these two sides. For instance, I saw this one article. Christians stole winter solstice and then <laughs> <laughs> from you know, so, um and then you get the, you know, Christians who say, you know, Christmas is pagan. <clears throat> and it was, you know, you know, the early reformers didn't celebrate Christmas. No. And know? if you're in the PCA and you do it, you know, ask yourselves, how how uh, loyal to the 17th century are yeah, you? There we go. But the interesting thing is, and my, my son John and I were talking about this, the brilliance of Christianity is that it baptizes things. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's not like, it wasn't like, oh, they're trying to sneak it by, you know, we're trying to merge this pagan festival with Christianity, they knew exactly what they were doing. The same thing with Christmas trees, you know, I mean, uh, I can't remember the the martyr, but there was this one missionary that went to the Germanic tribes, and he decided how he was going to win them over was to show them that the evergreen trees are not sacred. So he cut down a sacred tree, and they immediately cut off his head. So, So... they went back and had a missional conversation. Yeah, said, that's uh, that's not. I I I wouldn't do that. Hey, I wouldn't cut. How that about tree. instead of cutting the trees down, but we cut them down, but we make them Christmas trees. Yeah, so exactly. It, it all worked out. But <clears throat> so I, I think it's it's uh, it's one of the brilliance of Christianity that we embrace the cultures that we come into, we baptize them, and uh, yeah, sometimes we take some of the not so good things from culture, but often we take the best things. I mean, it's certainly true. I think with like Irish spirituality, they take the best insights of um, 
of the Druid idea, a Druid faith, and, and they baptize yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's all of creation, groaning for redemption. So in that baptism, you find this sort of, the, 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 the arc of history is bending towards this store, this culmination in history. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, too. I think one of the, there's one of the, one of the origin kind of uh, um, inclination is to look for purity. You know, so there's a sense of you're trying to get away from that which is impure, whether for him it was, you know, it's the physical world, it's the passions, you know, it's things like that. By the way, I, I'm a, I am an origin fan. I think he's like remarkably influential and, and brilliant, one of the, maybe the first great brilliant Christian. Oh, Christian. absolutely, yeah. But I do think there's a sense where um, even like, for instance, the fall story in Irenaeus, I think this would be such a corrective both to the West and all the West, including the Protestants. Where for Irenaeus, the fall was two kids messing up. Yes, yeah, it, it's a maturation. It's a, it's a part of a maturation story, yeah. not a fall from the golden age. Yeah, and it's actually, it, what happens, I think, with a lot of uh, both Roman Catholic and Protestant thinking about uh, the fall of humanity is that it ignores, it, it ignores what God does after chapter 3 of Genesis. Because God doesn't shut down the shop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, one of the great things learning with Jewish scholars that, that really they brought out to me was this idea that God, you know, we, we get the idea of humanity's out of the garden. The garden's over. But that's not the case at all. God, no, keeps, yeah. God keeps trying to recreate the garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, The garden is not like a golden age. It's a beginning. Right. So, you know, they lose Eden, but then, you know, and the earth gets destroyed, but then Noah plants a vineyard. And then the promise to Abraham, I'm going to give you a land of milk and honey, a wonderful garden. And so they get the land, they lose the land, they come back to the land. You know they make they? the land great again. <laughs> so there's a sense where I think Irenaeus understood uh, a little bit better, I think, the Jewish context of the false story. And to me, that's um, – it, it, it it leaves room for what again we'll start. We'll go back to what redeemed will can do. It's we're moving forward, and that's not a straight line. But uh, by grace, we we uh, can face whatever comes next. And and again, it's not necessarily. And you know, we can get into what kind of millennialist uh, Irenaeus was. That's not the point of this conversation. But I think the spirit of Irenaeus makes us. You know, regardless of what happens. Uh, where we are, we believe in the good that God's ultimately going to bring about in the world. The dumbest question, one of the dumbest questions I ever asked, I was sitting with Robert Jensen in his office. At oh, okay. <laughs> and, and, I, and I was like, I was like, well, you know, what about predestination, the problem of evil? Some stupid question. Uh, okay, wait a minute. If you had a time machine, you'd go. Take I, that I would say, take don't it. ask that. And then Jensen had such a great answer that he said, well, y- y- without you can't have a history without evil. And then I'm like, well, yeah, but why do you need a history? And he says, because God wanted to include you. And I thought, what a, wow, <laughs> what a great answer to a dumb question. <laughs> but then he said, but maybe after that question, maybe not so much. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry and, Christmas uh, have you. a great holiday, too. Yeah. Take care. Bye. Hey, listeners. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation and will join us back here next time. Until then... Thanks for listening, and God bless.